Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 140 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, more hefting and a couple of very light colonies cause concern, but resolving the issue is a simple fix. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 140. Just one more week until Christmas, and I'm so pleased to say I finally got round all the bees with the oxalic acid treatments. Honestly, it's not a massively time-consuming issue. Once I'm set and ready to go, it's mainly just trying to find gaps in the day-to-day calendar to fit it all in. Typically, here in Norwich, we've hit a mild period once again, just before Christmas. It's not going to be a white Christmas for me this year again. I have to really stretch my memory back to think when we had any decent snowfall either on Christmas Day or in the few days leading up to Christmas. The majority of our winter tends to arrive in January and February, so now is a great time to get everything settled down, prepared for the six to eight weeks of chilly weather, and begin to plan for the start of the new season, whenever that may be. Even though we will still get some very chilly days, I hate to use the word cold, as I know for a lot of you, particularly in North America, the temperature will plummet to below freezing and stay there for several weeks, if not months. We'll have some ice and no doubt there will be some snow, but it never lasts for long. And I see on the news that the long-term forecasts are predicting there's going to be a time, perhaps in my lifetime, when we won't see frosts in Norfolk at all, such is the current state of our climate. Maybe I should buy some citrus trees in preparation. A nice orange and lemon grove would be a splendid sight, I think. That's for the future, of course. Back to the here and now. We're looking at high single-figure temperatures from now until the new year, unless something dramatic happens. Yesterday and the day before, we had bees out flying as if It was spring already. Lots of bees on orientation flights, hovering in front of their hives, learning the lie of the land. It was noticeable that once the sun dropped a little, they soon headed back into the hives, though. Days like these are valuable to the bees for cleansing flights and for gathering a little water, but they can have a devastating effect on the colony's stores, and sometimes... I wish it would get cold and stay cold for longer periods so the bees form their tight cluster and use less energy and consume less of their food. Of course, some bees will be active within the cluster, keeping everybody warm, maintaining the brood nest temperature so that what little brood is being raised can be kept toasty warm and develop into adult bees ready to take their place in the colony. It's interesting that some beekeepers will be fretting over too much snow, while others will be worrying that their bees are too active and eating all of their food stores. This is just another great example of why you really need to take local advice and speak with fellow beekeepers in your area. Whereas 
I may be talking of removing roofs and adding fondant. Elsewhere, beekeepers will still have hives stuffed with food that's barely been touched and probably thinking I'm crazy. Time for a coffee and maybe a mince pie and some quiet time to contemplate all of the advice you're being given and hearing. Maybe watching on YouTube, dare I say. Even the advice from your own mentors. Wherever the advice comes from, take some time out to think it through with your own situation in mind. It's all well and good me using a Provap oxalic acid sublimator to treat my bees, but it just might not be appropriate or possible for you to use such equipment. Others might be inspecting their bees in shorts and t-shirts, and whilst I long for such a calm strain of bees, there's no way I'm actually going to emulate such behaviour, just because I've seen it on a video. We all need to take the knowledge of others and consider it with reflection and with thought to our own beekeeping setup. So here's what I found this week when I visited my apiaries. Make of it what you will and consider if you should reconsider how your bees may be faring. Overall, I would say I can calm down a little. If you've listened to my previous podcasts, you might have detected a note of panic after some of my heftings and colony assessments. Yes, I did lose a couple of colonies to starvation, but the majority appear to be fine. The oxalic acid treatments went well, although I have noticed a couple of issues that I will investigate a little further. Firstly, when I use the sublimator, it appears that although the crystals sublimate quickly, they also crystallise again quickly within the dosing bowl. This means that I may be giving a slight underdose of treatment. That said, I'm using a slightly higher dose than the 2.25 grams that I would normally use, simply due to the small scoop that I have. It's something around 2.5 grams as an average. The other issue I found was one that made me chuckle to myself, actually. I was at the Fishing Lakes Apiary, having just finished at the university site and, having enjoyed a very pleasant lunch, dragged myself out of the truck to continue the afternoon's work. The first colony to be treated was the top bar hive. Here, sublimation of the oxalic acid treatment works really well, as it's pretty much impossible to use either the trickle or spraying methods. I was all set up at the side of the hive, ProVap unit set up and ready to go. I fitted the heat-resistant plastic tube to the nozzle. This is a much-needed adaptation to prevent the melting of polyhives, and in this apiary, they're all 14 by 12 polyhives, with the exception of the top bar hive. I loaded up the crystals and fitted the bowl to the ProVap unit. This is achieved by turning the unit upside down, pressing the heated bowl down onto the dosing bowl. Holding the unit upside down, I then insert the tube into the entrance in preparation for treatment, and then flipped the ProVap over so that the crystals fell down onto the heated element and instantly turned to vapour. All good so far, but what I hadn't realised was that, just like the crystals had reformed in the dosing bowl, I guess because the temperature was significantly lower than the hot plate, by the time the oxalic acid vapour had travelled along the tube, it had cooled and started to crystallise again. 
and over the course of treating other colonies at the previous apiary, with it in place, it had meant the internal bore of the tube had become smaller and smaller, to the point that by the time I was ready to treat the top bar hive, it had closed up completely. The sudden build-up of pressure meant the heat-proof tube now became a kind of stopper. The pressure built up instantly and the tube shot off, disappearing deep inside the top bar hive. The pressure thus being released meant the treatment went ahead with no ill effects, but the length of tube now lies on the floor of the top bar hive or buried in a cluster of bees and comb. I'll only find out exactly where when we inspect in the spring, and I'm sure I'll have completely forgotten about it by then, so it will be a comical surprise when I find it. Other than that, the sublimation went off without a hitch. I have to say, I'm now an advocate of the full face mask rather than either the disposable masks or even the half face masks that just cover the nose and mouth. I'm not sure what damage a full face of oxalic acid would do if it drifted into and around your eyes, but it can't be good. The full face mask not only gives good protection, it also gives confidence that you can work safely and concentrate on the job in hand and not get distracted by worrying about your own or others' safety. This is one job I carry out alone. That is, until I can get another full face mask for Steph. Pete has one. He looks something like an espionage spy in the Cold War, such is the design and age of his face mask. I'm sure it works fine, but the one I have feels more modern and safer. Now, I know there will be some beekeepers out there who will say, why go to the trouble of sublimating when it has such risks, and isn't it better to just use the trickle method? And here we're back to the point of doing what suits you and your beekeeping. Sublimation has been shown to be the more effective method, and I'll post a link to the research paper that gives this evidence. But trickle treatments are also effective, so we each have to choose our preferred route. It was while I was treating the colonies with the sublimator that I discovered a couple of very light hives. It's a topic that will probably crop up again over the next few weeks, I'm sure. But this week I found two colonies that, when hefted, almost lifted completely off the stands. Such was the comparative lightness. This is another example of where you can get a couple of jobs done at the same time while you're out and about checking or treating your bees. Unfortunately, I have to admit I wasn't so well prepared that I could instantly resolve the problem, and I'm heading back again this morning to sort it. When you have a number of colonies in the same types of hives and the same setup, hefting becomes quite straightforward. As I wandered around the apiary treating the colonies, I would find myself with a few moments between treatments, and this gives a perfect opportunity to lift the back of the hive and assess the overall weight of the colony. It's not absolutely necessary to weigh the hives, although I know there are many beekeepers out there who do just that. It's something I may well try next year as an experiment, but for this year, I'm just hefting. Anyway, as I mentioned, one of the colonies at this apiary was so light I nearly lifted it off the stand. A moment of panic quickly settled into a plan of action. We had plenty of spare wood at the workshop, and Pete was able to knock up an eek for me very quickly. Remember, an eek is just a wooden frame that sits on the brood box 
to provide a small gap between it and the crime board or cover board and roof. It doesn't need to be huge. In fact, we use them with our clearer boards, so they're multifunctional. The fastest way to get food into a starving colony at this time of the year is with fondant. My preference is the Appy Pasta fondant from Modern Beekeeping, but many beekeepers use Baker's fondant successfully. If you're in a real hurry, pop to the supermarket and buy a couple of small packs of fondant icing from their baking section. It will be expensive, but it may be the difference between bees surviving or starving. The fondant in this case was placed directly onto the top bars of the brood frames, whereas I can usually place fondant above the crime board and the bees will happily move up to it. Where I have near starving colonies, I like to get the fondant directly onto them. When I put the fondant onto this type of starving colony, I'll also cut open the pack, in this case a one kilogram pack, across the entire length, opening up the pack so that as many bees as possible can feed on it. There's no point cutting a one inch square hole for the bees when so many of them will want to feed. Again, because this colony was so light, I put three one kilo bags on immediately, pretty much covering the top of the cluster of bees. Maximum coverage, allowing fast maximum feeding. I have no doubt these bees will be fine now. It feels like I've had a lucky escape. Finally today, I wanted to give an example of the point I was making at the beginning of the podcast about the different climactic conditions that we beekeepers face and the need to take local specific advice about your beekeeping. As you may remember, my youngest daughter Bethany is studying in Pennsylvania at Penn State University. In fact, this weekend she graduates, so congratulations Beth, I know you listen to my podcast. Anyway, Beth sent a couple of pictures today of the massive change in weather conditions they've just faced. Yesterday, blue skies and warmish sunshine, clear paths and roads. Overnight, something like 18 to 24 inches of snow and a very dramatic change to the landscape. Here, I'm talking about popping to the bees and giving them a little fondant, while over in Pennsylvania, they'll be digging out their hive entrances. All I can say is Beth's seen more white Christmases than I have now, and with just one week to go before the big day, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, that's it for this week. Check in next week once you've opened all your presents and carved up the socially distanced feast. Have a safe and a very Merry Christmas. And as usual, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. (laughs) 